What's up, everyone? It was fun to see uh, you all in Ventura at the Dead Heat show this past Saturday. Hardcore is back, and it's, it's super fun. It was my first show back after a long COVID hiatus, and it felt great. Everyone killed it. Raylor killed it. Risk killed it. ROC killed it. Regulate killed it. The Fight killed it. Stalag 13 killed it. And the Mighty Mighty Dead Heat, you know what's up. They killed it. It was awesome. Uh, this week, we're just talking hardcore on the pod, and I think you're going to like it. Please support the podcast by subscribing to it wherever you listen to it. Also, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please like it and leave a quick review. It'll take you five seconds, and it helps out immensely. I do not know why, but it does. If you want to go the extra mile, go to patreon.com slash 185 miles south. Become a monthly patron. These are the people that keep the podcast alive. Also, if you go to 185 miles south, there is a 185milesouth.com, that is. Uh, there's a playlist for every episode, so check that out, and all our links are up there. Once again, smash that Patreon button, and let's get on with the show. Hundred eighty-five miles south, a hardcore punk rock podcast. What's up, everyone? This week on the pod, we are talking lots and lots of hardcore. You know what's up? Helping out, you know him, you love him. He is our English muffin. He is Daniel Sant. What's up, Dan? Um, <laughs> I don't know how to feel about that. <laughs> it, w- it was said with love, friend. <laughs> also helping out, it is Ben Merlis, a.k.a. Ben Edge, a.k.a. Bedge. What's up, Ben? I've been downgraded from the smartest man on the pod to just my name. That's cool. I accept that. Well, you got like three names. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. And I, I and upgraded. It. The smartest and best dressed. <laughs> well, and we should also say the second smartest man on the pod. It is Positive Christopher. It is Posi Chris. What's up, Chris? Hello. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, man. All right. Um, we have been fielding some listener questions, which are inherently better than the stuff that I come up with. So much respect. This one came from uh, Jeffrey Green. And he asked, what were some of the important compilations or samplers to you as a kid? And then he shot out the examples, Punkorama 2, Victory Style 2, East Coast Hardcore versus West Coast Hardcore, and the Another Planet Sunday Matinee. This is actually something I've been wanting to talk about for a while that kind of is it's maybe a little adjacent to his question, but I've always been fascinated by the, like the $4 samplers that came out in like the mid-90s. This is like such a wild thing to think about now with like Spotify and Apple music and YouTube and all everything just at the, like at the edge of your fingertips. Right. But like back then you didn't know what all these bands sounded like, like you could have a group of 10 friends and you still don't know like what every band on epitaph sounds like, you know, but then Punkorama comes out and it's like a $4 CD, which is pretty mind blowing, you know, and then you get to hear all the bands. Like, this is crazy. What was your guys' opinion when uh, when those popped up, Ben? Uh, the, for the sampler, the free samplers. Um, 
well, I remember them being like four bucks, right? Like the Pongorama, the Fat Records one. And then I think like Victory, Rev, they all followed. Am I incorrect in that? They weren't free. Some of them were. And I don't know if they were f- the free ones were free after the, you know, they charged for them. I don't know the exact order, but I do know that like by the time the Epitaph ones popped up, I was like, I, I learned the hard way what a lot of Epitaph bands sound like. And I figured out which ones I already liked and which ones I didn't. But uh, one that was really helpful was Revelation Records had a cassette sampler in 1995, just called, entitled Cassette Sampler, because I looked it up on Discogs to get the exact title for this. And that came free with, uh, like, I put, in an, I put in an order to Rev, and, and they put that in with my order. So I got all these records that I paid for, plus this cassette sampler so I could fill in the mental blanks. And this, and this is that whole what they call the college years on the where it went podcast, you know, a lot of the mid nineties bands and they were putting out lots of stuff at that point. So it was, it was cool to play catch up the same way the New York hardcore, the way it is uh, compilation from 88 on rev, which is, was not free and was just a regular record that they put out. I bought that on cassette a few years earlier. And that was my way of like introducing myself to most of those you know, the first generation youth crew and whatever rev rev bands. So this was like kind of the sequel to that in a way. So that was, it. that was fun. I mean, it was really helpful. Except the bands didn't rip as hard. Well, it was different. I mean, I know you're not into that kind of stuff. It was a little bit more on the, on the, whatever the hell you'd call it, alt rock side of things like engine kid and sense field and shades apart and stuff like that. But I got into those bands very heavily at that time. Yeah, I remember like the first two fat comps and the first punkorama, like loving them. You know, like I don't know, it's the first time I ever heard Poison Idea was because they were on. I think it was that first punkorama. Might have been the second one. And those but fat, I, those fat ones, like I didn't skip a song. Like I loved those things. But I was really into compilations, like regular compilations that you know were were never free and and they weren't samplers and they had exclusive tracks on them. I mean like Flex Your Head. I got that I when I guess the only band I had ever heard on it well, there's maybe maybe Minor Threat and then I heard Void on the radio. And then and then I bought bought Flex Your Head and that you know ca- got me caught up with that early 80s Discord stuff and then there was the Copulation LP on Mystic that was maybe the first thing on Mystic I ever bought, one of them at least, the first comp. And then very even before all that, that Beach Boulevard comp on Posh Boy that has the crowd and the simple tones. And um uh who's the third band? Shit. I wrote an entire chapter. Oh, Rick L. Rick with negative trend. And I and I wrote a chapter in a book that just came out about Beach Boulevard. Uh each chapter is written by a different person and it's all about record like kind of obscure records. And the name of the book is The White Label. Promo Preservation Society, 100 flop albums you ought to know on Hozak Books. So I literally got this thing in the mail like three days ago and it's got it, you know, a chapter written by me in it, which is pretty rad, like for me, because I've only ever, you know, I only ever wrote one book before. So now I've written one and one one hundredth of a book. (laughs) So that, that Beach Boulevard comp is really cool. Like for if you're into kind of the beachy late 70s, southern california style of punk 
Can we look at Ben's notes real quick that says something like, this question is about samplers, but let me divert the conversation into compilation so I can talk about the chapter in a book I just put out. <laughs> but the and thing is, it's not. Me, and then let me totally date this podcast by saying I got this a couple days ago and it just came out, even though I have no idea when it's going to air. But it's not. It, look at the question. It, what were some of the important compilations or samplers to you as a kid, right? I know. I'm just pulling you. Ah. <laughs> Dan, what are some comps to stand out to you? Well, if if we're talking like compilations, obviously the way it is is in a massive uh, signpost. Also, the Indecision, Guilty by Association, uh, which was like a Southern California compilation, was amazing. I also had the cassette that Ben's referencing that was free, but uh, from Rev. But I think the one that they really fired on all cylinders for was the in-flight sampler um that was free i believe and it did come with like like sessions uh i think you know when you like would get the little um sessions catalog in the mail i think the rev in-flight sampler came with that but you could also pick it up at any record store that sold a, a multitude of revelation records um i gotta say uh the texas is the reason song that's on there is why you know when we've discussed in the past what which is the best texas is the reason song like that one i wore out because it was on this sampler and uh victory style kind of followed on from there which gave you the opportunity to hear hi-fi and the road burners without having to buy that record as well as you know um donuts yeah, yeah, and Bloodlet, because I'm not a fan of them either. But, you know, um, I that's the thing. Like, in this Spotify generation or this Spotify world, I won't say generation because we're all different ages, but in the Spotify world, you are so quick to click away um, for something you don't like within 10 seconds, right? You know, but even on these samplers, you would give these songs that you – didn't necessarily care for uh, the full play. Usually if you didn't have a remote for your CD player or anything like that. Um, yeah. I mean, like I never really loved bracket or guns and winkers, but I still listen to those songs and it was like, Oh, these are competent bands. And then if they came through, like I would see them. Yeah. I liked guns and wankers, which is, I think it was an offshoot of um, what's snuff. The snuff. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, I thought it was pretty good, but the um, the band that kind of stood out on some of those fat comps that I didn't know before it was uh, High Standard. Oh, because they, uh, they had California Dreaming on the second one, and it was like, yeah. okay, this song rips. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was really cool. And, you know, um, also, uh, I think on the first one, it had one of the rancid tracks from the from the seven inch. And if you didn't have that seven inch, which I eventually did or did quite soon after, but it had the B side. I think it's just a feeling, but on the, on the rancid seven inch, <laughs> cause the, the whole layout is done in uh tipex or whiteout. And um, it's misspelled just a felling <laughs> on the back. Um, but that song is so good. And it's on the first fat comp. Um, I, re- I, 
I miss the days of samplers. Like uh, now, what seems to be the thing is like lots of labels are pressing flexies, flexi one off one shot songs, you know, as like promos for records to come out. Have you noticed that a lot at record stores? Like you can pick up like five or six different flexies from different indie labels. I haven't seen stores. I haven't seen it in stores, but when I mail order stuff, like sometimes they'll dump in a few flexies and yeah. usually, usually they just get signed straight to roadside. <laughs> yeah. right. I um, you know, just as far as like compilations, of course, like I'm honing in on like the sampler era, but like, you know, eighties compilations are so crucial. Flexor head, of course, Ben mentioned compilation. There's actually several decent mystic comps, the best being Nardcore. And that the first one, the we got power comp or, is good. Um, compilation is exceptional. I mean, it's the only time that Black Flag is on a Mystic comp, which is kind of rad. And then, of course, um, I love where the wild things are. Yeah, know? me too. You know, love kind it. of like the yin to the yang of uh, the ugly side. There you go. Although, who are you calling ugly, Dan? Say it to his face. <laughs> no, no, I'm saying like it, it's got that. It's got that meanness to it, you know? Yeah. Chris, what are some of your favorite comps? Yeah, I think for me, like, there, there's a lot of comps that are my favorite comps that are a lot of the, the older, you know, more staple classic comps. But, like, for me, a lot of those, I didn't really get into them until kind of later. Um, so, like, when I was coming up, I think, like, some of them that were more important to me uh, in helping me kind of find my way and, and find bands that I liked were, uh, you know, stuff that came out in the nineties and stuff. And I think, uh, you know, I'm glad Jeffrey mentioned the East coast versus West coast comp. Cause that was a really cool one that turned me on to a lot of bands. I think probably is the first time I heard eyelid. Maybe the first time I heard pro- definitely the first time I heard kill holiday and far side, uh, had made to let you down on it, which is what a great song. That's the best in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I think the like Ensign and In My Eyes were on it. I think um, there's a ton of, ton of cool stuff. Um, and then, you know, another one that, that he mentioned is the Sunday matinee. You know, I, I never had the way it is until you know later on. And so like Sunday matinee was kind of my, the way it is, you know, um, really turned me on to like the standout tracks for that were Reagan youth, any town quest for herb by Murphy's law youth of today, expectation of war zone as one. There's a lot of stuff on there that I, that I love now, but like back then was not quite punk enough. It was a little bit harder, you know, like the Cro-Mags and the agnostic fronts that kind of took me a little bit more to get into that. Whereas like those four bands, Reagan's youth, Murphy's law, youth today, war zone. It was like instant. Um, I love that too, Chris. I love that comp. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I I was in the Navy at the time and uh, traveled the world listening to that comp over and over and over again. And then mail ordering CDs by every band on the comp pretty much. Uh-huh. Hell yeah. I, felt, I felt partially burned by that comp when it came out because I, I thought it was these bands performing live at CBGB. Yeah. And, and it's not, it's just from their records. And I, at that point, I think I already had more than half of those records. Um, but, but that comp did get me into, uh, leeway and, 
uh, I guess I didn't have that Murphy's Law yet. There were a few things that that comp actually did get me into, so that was cool. I actually think I was the opposite on that. I think I didn't buy it because I thought it was a live comp. And I was like, I don't want to listen to a live record of hardcore. It's <laughs> terrible. But I feel burned because I could have really liked that stuff earlier than I did. Mm-hmm. I had this CD comp. It came out in 93 on Rhino Records. I looked it up right now because all I could remember was I discovered SSD by like listening to this weird comp. And looking at the track list now, I'm like, oh my God. It's called Faster and Louder Hardcore Punk Volume 1. It came out on Rhino Records in 93. Yeah, track list for like the first like eight songs dead kennedy's holiday in cambodia bad brains pay to come circle jerk rolled up my ass suicidal tendencies i saw your mommy the dicks dick save the police angry samoans lights out meet men one down three to go ssd get it away and then there's yeah that's a real dog yeah like (laughs) this is a banger that that comp was put out by this uh well it's put up by rhino and there was there's two volumes there's one and two and i think they came out simultaneously and and this guy jeffrey weiss who was a co-worker of my dad at warner brothers uh put it together he's a he he came from the boston scene and and he's a really nice guy and he knows a shitload about hip-hop too which i didn't realize until fairly recently and that that comp got me that's the first time i ever heard uh zero boys that song um civilization's dying it's like god damn there's so much good music out there that i you know helped me fill in blanks too that's a great song of all time i i don't think that's on the first version that must be on part two because that stood out for me and who's missing from that comp who's the most obvious omission from that comp (laughs) (laughs) retaliate (laughs) exactly minor threat minor threat they wouldn't license it minor threat refused to license it yeah, well, it looks like there's no Discord stuff, right? Right. Although, no, there's a government issue song, but it must be Fun and Games. Where does that land, Ben? Uh, that's Fountain of Youth era. That's like mid-80s. Uh, right on. Yeah, what about... Uh, so he mentioned, and you guys talked about, like, Punkorama and, like, some of those fat comps and... and Or fat samplers. And, and I actually don't think I ever really got into any of those. But, like, along those same lines, one that was, like, super important for me was give the Give Him the Boot comp. Yeah, you guys remember this? Yeah, like there's three tracks that like stand out on that to me as like like the Dropkick Murphys Barroom Hero that was my introduction to to that band. Um, Pressure Point Heart Like a Lion, which is what a great like skinhead girl love song. Uh, and then U.S. Bombs Twenty Two Jacks, um, and the previous two like those songs got me into those bands who are still loved to this day. Uh, U.S. Bombs, I don't think I could name another uh, U.S. Bombs song if my life depended on it, but that song was so sick. It was just about like downhill skateboarding. I um, uh, Something I haven't discussed, the comps that probably meant just as much to me as anything mentioned were the all the different Oi ones, like all the chart busters ones, all the Oi to the World, oh, yeah. uh, the Oi of Sex, all the Helen of Oi comps. Mm-hmm. All of those just introduced you to so many fucking amazing bands. And then you definitely started the, um, you know, okay, I need to buy this album. And then, you know, the bad thing is there's a minefield there because you yeah. you don't have anyone guiding you. So you, yeah. you buy the Cockney Rejects 1987 record. You're like, ah, or yeah. or yeah. you get the oi comp that has some nazi bands on there and you don't know <laughs> yeah. like yeah that, definitely like you Another know minefield. The, 
there's the yeah the combat eighty fours and stuff like that that are very uh, not RAC. Yeah. Um, um, here's one that is it's a little bit different because it's 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 quite a bit later on. But if you guys remember, right when Bridge Nine and Death Wish were popping, they did that sampler together with I want to say Thorpe was the other label. Yeah, it was. And that had some bangers. I think it was the first time a song from Carry On's Life Less Plague was available, I think. There was a No Warning track on there. Dead that Dead Serious song was dope. I want to say Die Hard Youth was on it. Yeah, because it was yeah, it was those labels. It was called Fighting Music. Yeah. There was that, and then there was a second one too, because I think Indecision was part of the second one. Hmm. There's actually a podcast like that does a whole Death Wish catalog, and they did those, and I listened to those episodes, and they basically just shit on every band. Except they did, <laughs> they did like Over My Dead Body, Dan, so shout out. Whew, God, dodge the bullet. <laughs> but it was I don't like, know if that's good or bad. <laughs> they're actually, they were really funny guys. It's just like, man, why are you doing this? Like, all you're doing is shitting on every band. Like, bummer. Every once in a while, these free samplers would contain songs that just didn't exist anywhere else, like which kind of defeats the purpose of a sampler, you know, like one of like, I want to say there was a nitro record sampler that had a song from the TSOL 1980 demo. Like that would never, that was never commercially released, but the song (laughs) is on there. So I, I kept, I kept those samplers like, Oh my God, I can't believe there's, you know, this song that doesn't exist anywhere else. Unless I was, you know, teleported back to 1980 and I bought a cassette off of, (laughs) you know, Jack Grissom, but I don't even know if those cassettes were sold like as demos or if they were just like demos to help them get a record deal. But yeah, there was like, I want to say there was a lifetime song that didn't exist on CD at, at least at that point, you know, like somewhere in the swamps of Jersey, which was like the B side of boys, no good. So that was on one of those like Jade tree samplers, which until, you know, 2006, there was no way to get that on that just didn't exist on compact disc. Yeah. Yeah. There was like a unreleased funeral oration song on one of the hopeless samplers. And then also there was like an unreleased lag wagon song on, I think the second fat sampler there, they put in gems. It was like kind of interesting. They were standalone releases almost, but we'll grab that indecision records, 100, which has unreleased songs from a bunch of indecision bands, including an OMDB one. Yeah, but he can't touch the first indecision comp for you to hold <laughs> my breath. Yeah. The greatest song of all time. Guilty by association. That was a big one for me. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, huge. Yeah. yeah, that plus the nice song, the redemption song. So good. Yeah. You know, and I think we talked about it on the Mandela interview, but like I remember really not liking that parades in band. And then I went back and listened to it. And that song on that comp is awesome. Oh, yeah. Like, I love it. But it's funny was, how that works sometimes. Like sometimes you're just not ready for it. And you yeah. come back and you're like, ah, now I get it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Although a lot of stuff on that comp I'm still not ready for. <laughs> you know? Maybe I mean, it's not ready stuff, for you. A lot of stuff on most comps I'm not ready for. You know, but hey, hey. Um, to- well, let me tell you something, mean <laughs> Jeffrey Green. I hope we answered <laughs> your question, brother. <laughs> Chris, had a, Chris had one last point. Yeah, actually two, uh, real quick. I think an important thing in the nineties is like a lot of people that, you know, there were the big 
distros, but then there were other like people that were holding it down with like small distros. They would just get like a handful of stuff that they really like and they would sell it around to everyone, you know, in their city. Uh, Tim Mack from trial had a distro called checkmate and he had, he did what he did was he would make these sampler tapes that are basically like demos, you know, and, and they would have, you know, samples of different stuff that he distroed. You could, you know, check out these samplers and then find out, you know, what, what you liked and what you were into and then could go check out more stuff. And, and these were like super important for me. Like first time I ever heard brotherhood was on one of these. Um, you know, there was a H first time I ever heard H2O was on there. There's a balance of the world, which is a great Seattle band statue. First time I ever heard them. Um, so those were super crucial, like those distro samplers. And then the other kind of thing that's very of this time is like a lot of people that did zines would have sampler CDs where they would stuff a CD in with their zine. Um, there was one called Inside Front um, yeah. that had some cool stuff in it. The first two songs were One Life Crew songs, like from the demo, I think. Uh, Trial, Brothers Keeper, before his voice got really high and uh, kind of like a rooster. Uh, tension, Atlas Shrugged, um, and then just ruins it all at the end with the Cywerfer, uh song. <laughs> and then I was—I remember there was another sampler zine that cannot, for the life of me, rem- remember what the zine was or the CD, but like <laughs> another One Life Crew song that I loved, uh, Necessary Vengeance. Have you guys heard that song? Yeah, it's a demo song. Dude, what a hard song. Uh, there was a OS 101, you remember that that band? Old School 101? Yeah. yeah. They were the band after Hogan's Heroes. Yeah, yeah. Vision. I, I want to say it was like a Philly, Jersey area zine, but like Vision was on there. And there was some other stuff too that I couldn't vibe with that, you know, like you were saying, Zach, you come back to it and and you, you get it. There was uh, Stigmata was like always an instant skip for me back then, but like I love Stigmata now. I can't get enough of it. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> Yeah, there was actually yeah. a couple NorCal comps too that I really liked. Or maybe no, this yeah. one wasn't NorCal, but the Bossa Nova comp. That one, but also this it's actually not a NorCal comp, but it has a bunch of NorCal bands on it that our own way comp came out in ninety-eight, has like Agnostic Front, Kill Your Idols, Collateral Damage, Instant, In My Eyes, Model American, Redemption 87, Good Riddance. Mm-hmm. Has the best built the last song, the best recording of it, that uh, song Turn Away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So good. Ah, is that the one? Ah, stood the test of time. Yeah, I believe so. You know, no, that's off the that's off the CD EP, I believe. Dan, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I'm thinking another stood the test of time from the longest line, and I won't look back. Yeah, there's also the um, the It's for Life compilation. Yeah, day so good. And then you 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 were referencing um, Pacific Northwest stuff. There was one that was in in memory of Jason. And it, it, he must have been someone from the scene up there, but it had Botch, uh, Nine Iron on it, and a and a just a bunch of bands from like going a bit more, you know, like Indiana ish. But it's a really <laughs> cool comp. Um, I have. I'm not familiar the, with that. I know uh, Dave. Dave from Excursion had a number of like comps and samplers that he did, like yeah. the Choking Victim yep. uh, comp, which is killer. A- Antimatter was a great comp. Mm-hmm. They talk about it on where it went. They have a whole episode about it, and they interview Norm, uh, Brand Norman Brandon, who put the comp together. And as they go through it track by track, 
Javier is like, yeah, I didn't like this song. And it got to the point where Norman just cracked up. He's like, are you fucking kidding me? Why are we even talking about this? <laughs> it was really funny. Um, and I love, I love that comp. I was like, how, do, how is it that all of my favorite bands are on one comp and they are exclusive tracks? Like they're not songs that have been released before. Wasn't Ten Yards Fight on that? Like that's the first no. time I ever heard. What was the Ten Yard Fight comp song that that I think it was an anti-matter light sampler that came with the zine? I, oh, this sure. didn't come with the zine. This came after the zine was over. The thing I'm oh. talking about. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking about the Rev record, right? No, it was on another Rev planet, I think. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Dan, are you talking about the time is now? Um, no, there was a there was a a CD sampler that came with Antimatter fanzine. That was the very first time I heard Ten Yard Fight from the demo. Before I had the demo. Oh, dude! You know what we should say too? That I think had Ten Yard Fight on it. It's it's so criminal that all the crucial response stuff is not on uh, Spotify because the for the sake of dedication comp. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and also the NorCal one I was thinking of was that California Call to Arms. At Hood's Powerhouse, AFI, Forced Life, Built the Last, Redemption 87, you know, and that came on, that was on Breakout Records out of NorCal, that's what I'm thinking, NorCal, and then also Gain Ground out of Germany, 1998. Gra- Graham Donneth did a uh, comp around 97, 98 in, in SoCal, it had a bunch of different bands, and the, what I loved about that compilation is it had all different kinds of sounding bands, but trying to cap like doing a very similar thing to the indecision uh, comp capturing what was going on around the area. And uh, Palpatine was on it was the reason I know about it more than anything. But I found so many bands that I hadn't checked out that I knew were playing around that I started to go see because of that comp. That comp's called as the sun sets. It came out in, it was a CD only comp. It came out in 1999 and it's, the first time I was ever on a commercially released f- recording because I I was in I played bass in that band Fuck You that lasted one week, and and we had we had a song on that comp so I was like yeah I'm on a record now even though it's a CD whatever that's actually my favorite Life's Halt song Life's Halt they do to the heart on there and it's like the yeah. one studio recording of it that riff is wild so. Um, don't forget Words to Live by, Words to Die for, which is a very early New Age Records comp yep. that had lots of good bands. Well, it's, I think it's six bands. It's a seven-inch. But seven-inch comps are good. You know, that's a that's a pretty cool format, too. Yeah, I mean, Only the Strong, right? All those yeah. Only the Strongs are great. Also, those live Nemesis comps, you know, from the late 80s are super sick. Shout out Big yep. Frank. And the Teamwork comp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Strong Stronger. stronger. Of course. Growing stronger, yeah. Yeah, and Intense Energy, Camel Clutch Records. What's up? Yep. All right, cool. Well, I didn't buy it because it was all live bands. Oh, yeah, <laughs> fucking live. I felt, yeah, I got yeah. burned. It's totally terrible. That <laughs> <It> sucks. <laughs> we should do a, a collector's bargain corner on that. In fact, let's just do that right now. And so are these records. Collector's bargain corner. All right, regular collector's bargain corner. We just talked about it on the end of that. And so I was like, let's roll with it. One record that you should get to pad out your collection that will not break the bank is the Intense Energy 7-inch compilation that I put out in the year 2001. It's noteworthy to this show because 
three of the four of us here tonight were on this. Um, it's cool. And there's actually, you know, maybe by the time this airs, there'll be some more on uh, Discogs. Like it's always on there. It's like a two to five dollar record. The median price is two twenty two. The lowest it sold for was a dollar and four cents. <laughs> That's bummer, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but uh, the yeah, four like, cents. Yeah, we we recorded this. It was one show, one night at the living room. Um, Fields of Fire played. Die Hard Youth played. Overlanded Body played. Life's Hot played. And Control played. And uh, yeah, it's cool. It's just a little live record we put out. And I think it's the best Fields of Fire song. Keep it alive. And then. One of the best over my dead body songs, over my dead body, and actually the recording of both of theirs sounds pretty good. It's before all the mics got jacked. You know, life's <laughs> halt and control sound pretty terrible. I swear we kicked ass that night, but like, just the mics were whack. Um, but yeah, shout out John Lyons for recording it. And what did you guys think about this at the time? Am I tripping or did Missing 23rd play that show as well? Or am I imagining that? Imagining it's that's pure imagination. Okay. Um, I remember it being a really good show and it's a really good concept where you'd have one song by each band playing at the same show. I'd say that's kind of like what Nemesis did, right? Yeah. For, completely, completely. But did you get that idea from Nemesis or was it just like an idea you cooked up and it happened to be the same idea they had years earlier? No, the, the reason was like, I thought that putting out a comp would be a nightmare because you're waiting for everyone to send in their songs. So if I was in control of when the recording took, no time, pun intended. Yeah, when I, if I was in control of when the recording took place and could walk out with it, then the comp wouldn't get delayed for like six months because I wanted it to come out pretty quickly. And I oh, yeah. it, I ended up having to wait a while because I was waiting on lyrics from bands. It's like, God damn it, this still happened. <laughs> you know? But anyway. Yeah, How do you know well, what songs to pick? Um, That's a good question. I think I just chose my favorite songs. Right on. But I don't really remember. Dan, what I do you think, think you, of this? I think you asked fans too what they which one they wanted to use after the recording. Maybe. Maybe there and was you, asked, you at least asked me. Okay. <clears throat> right on. And yeah. and let's also just, you know, say that the covers were expertly printed for free at Xerox in San Diego when Daniel Sant worked for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Dan Xerox Sant. Is that like covers? a Kinkos? <laughs> yeah all right everyone check this out it is this comp is called intense energy it was on camel clutch records came out in the year 2001 it's another one that you can add to your collection for super cheap won't break the bank and it's kind of cool because you get to hear our bands and if you got it you could sell it for one dollar and four cents <laughs> it's the worst investment ever if you buy it at 222 and you have to sell it for 104 it's the reverse doggy coin or whatever that's called <laughs> Yo, I want to I say something about this comp real quick. Yeah. Uh, I have it. I don't remember the last time I listened to it, but uh, so I don't remember like all the songs and stuff, but like whatever it takes, I just want to like spend a second on that band. Cause like, I want to say that was the first, the first time that we ever played at Ohio was with whatever it takes. And like that band kind of, to me became like, I don't know, like the spirit of Ohio. Right. You know, like, at that show there weren't a ton of kids but like you know there's probably like 30 kids and every single kid at that show was circle pitting and like you know usually you play a show with a hundred people and you're lucky if there's you know 30 kids circle real spirit of ojai chris is beavis well eternal circle pitter that's because beavis was also like number one whatever it takes fan in fact it was 
his first nickname, Greg It Back, was taken off that because In Control and Whatever Takes played headline records, and we were watching the video afterwards, and Whatever Takes had this song that like the chorus would go, I'll take it back. I'll take it back. And every time that they sang that, Beavis was singing along and he'd like swing a punch with his arms, like a body blow. And we're like, okay, it's Greg it back. <laughs> and his favorite song is I'll take it back. So, yeah. <laughs> shout out whatever it takes. Shout out Milo. Shout out Javi. That was a uh, Javier that went on to play in the warriors. And that was his first band playing drums. Pretty rad. So uh, check that comp out people. Vocal test karaoke. Eric from Discourage. How do you do, fellow kids? What? How do you do, fellow kids? What? How do you do, fellow kids? All right. We're going to talk the Discouraged 7-inch called Forlorn Hope. Came out in 2020, and this was a suggestion from Andy Diehard. He thought that this record was awesome. Didn't get the credit it deserved, so we're going to talk about it. And, uh, yeah, I listened to this again today. I listened to it when it came out. Super solid hardcore. Dan, what did you think about this? I really like it. Um, I even, uh, I really like the kind of marionette uh, artwork as well. Super cool. The, um, I, I can see why Andy Diehard would like it. It has a very uh, right up his alley kind of sound, like a, an aggressive straight ahead hardcore, not straight ahead the band, but more like, you know, full speed ahead style um i'd say it's got a little kind of musically if you kind of crossed no warning and carry on to an extent that's kind of a vibe i get from it um the first song forlorn hope has this really like sleazy black sabbath-esque riff in it um which is kind of the breakdown and it's fucking awesome like it's such a good song uh, I really love the way the band sounds. I really love uh, the the vocals. Like they they've got a really good you know higher register punching through. Um, super cool. I love the lyrics to the second song, Control. Um, about it's almost uh, I don't know. It's just a, it's just a really well written song. I think this is a great recording, and this is a a Bay Area band 
that has at least half the band is from San Diego. So even though they live in the Bay now, it's kind of cool that it's North and South together in the North. Um, but it's really, really good seven inch. And I really recommend everyone picking it up. Yeah. I think that that, that Sabbath riff on the breakdown of the first song is like the standout moment. I, I, wish agree. They, I it's a really cool creative twist on a really straightforward sound. I would like to see them amplify that more because they could really carve out like a niche there. They obviously have the chops to write a riff like that. I say roll with it, you know, and and I think it's the last song uh, curtain that it kind of has like a long drag out part of the end. And it's like, man, that would have been a nice spot. Like make this like riffy stuff, like make another appearance. I think it could really, if they, if they just amplify that and keep this in the straightforward lane, it would be a really, really interesting thing to see. Like they could turn into one of my favorite bands. I just yeah, want to I, turn that up to make them stand out a bit. I echo that, Zach. I think that is a really astute point. Um, but the one thing that I, I do think they do really well, and it does have the place for the riffs, is the control that they reach the what technically would be referred to as breakdowns. They're not going for like insane moshes or anything like that. They're going for a really controlled, like drawn out transition in a song. And I think they do it really well. I just wish there were more sleazy riffs like in the first song. Yeah. I think that that's, that's a fair point. Like they're leaning more into like tempo changes, not mosh parts. And, and if you're not going for like the big mosh, then like you can, make them really interesting with some of the tricks that they, they sprinkle throughout the record. It's like, I just want it to go to 11. That's all. And it's just because they teased me with it. Right. It's like, it's, it's kind of like the, uh, the new tuning record. Like I loved when they do that double kick on the intro, but it's like, give me some more, man. I love that. You know, just sprinkle in some more. It'll make you stand out so much being like this, you know, melodic type band that has double kick. Like that is so rad. You know, and what did you think about this? I, I noticed the Sabbath riff as well in that first song in the Forlorn Hope song. And I just looked this up right now on Discogs that there's a limited version of the seven inch that has a, uh, the record cover is a, is a takeoff. It's basically just the Black Sabbath Paranoid album, but it says Discourage Forlorn Hope. But it's, unless they got, fuck, did they get their friend to reenact it? I'm trying to look to see if it's a different guy. You know, it's the one with the the guy in the forest with the sword and the shield and the pajamas. <laughs> um, but I guess that's a European only press. So uh, clearly this is a band influenced by Black Sabbath. But yeah, you only hear it on that one part of that one song. But then the breakdown has these cool stops and starts in it, as um, which was cool. And then later, uh, I thought, am I hearing an Ensign influence? And actually, if you look up on their band camp, it says uh, stemming from Oakland, California, discourage embodies fast, angry, true to roots, hardcore screaming for social awareness and a clarion call against apathy and ambivalence, drawing influence from early two thousands, hardcore, such as carry on Ensign and mental blah, 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 blah. So I actually, I did hear the Ensign thing, but I was like, am I really hearing this? And, and then, (laughs) Definitely on the two B side tracks, Snake Oil and the Curtain, that they there's something like very specific. Like Ensign is not the most like 
obvious sounding band. They're a hard, they're kind of a basic hardcore band, but they're just little flares that they have like the, the strumming pattern of the guitar or the, the way the vocals are kind of shouted or kind of the medium fast verses and choruses and the way the guitar goes into the breakdown, just little things. So there, there it was. And, and also um, I did pick up on kind of the, I, I refer to it as the old B nines, the bridge nine sound, um, especially that bass tone on the second song is so yeah. it's, so in the early 2000s, in that scene, bass players used this pedal called a Tech 21 Sans Amp bass driver. And it basically was a way to approximate sort of that 80s Chromags bass tone. Uh, so it's super trebly and super bassy at the same time. So it's like it's you can hear everything. You can hear it being strummed. Yeah, um, a lot of twang on it. Yeah. Um, so that this is like if they took that pedal and then they turned every knob to 10 and then broke the knobs off. <laughs> yeah. Someone's got to put out fighting music three. So discourage can be on there. They slide in nicely. Huh? And and then the last thing was the, the last song on the album, which is called the curtain. The breakdown at the end reminds me of that unbroken song absentee debate. And now that oh, I'm, now that I'm thinking about it, doesn't Unbroken have a song called Curtain? That's what I just said. I'm like, oh, it did not Curtain. <laughs> right, right. I, I didn't even make that connection until just now. But yeah, it's a very similar uh, breakdown. Chris, what did you think about this? Uh, I think it's cool. I think the first thing I want to say, like, I, I don't think I met any of the members of this band in real life, but, you know, all indications are that you know, these are some of the nicest kids in the world, as far as I can tell. Um, so I think it, it's cool that we're chatting. Them. And and like, let me expand on that a little bit. Like, this is a band that they use their social platforms to like amp up every other band. And, and I think that's super sick. Like bands that are just like, you know, spending a lot of energy, like hyping up other bands is like such a cool vibe. So... I just want to start by saying like, I'm hyped that we can use this platform to kind of amp them up. Um, Records super good. I think everyone's covered a lot of things I wanted to say. I think my standout track is curtain. Um, Just, I love the way that the vocals kind of like vibe off the drums. Um, But I do totally agree uh, on that first track. Um, I actually put in my notes, black Sabbath riff. Um, and and I was wondering, like, my natural question is, like, do they are they inspired by Black Sabbath? Or are they inspired by, you know, maybe another band that's inspired by Black Sabbath? So um, well, appreciate Ben doing his, to, his homework there. And to the listener out there, it, when we say Black Sabbath, we're not talking about, like, the full-on stoner rock, that tons of bands that are influenced mm-hmm. by Black Sabbath. It's like a very bluesy, like, sleazy riff. Yeah. Like, you hear Black Sabbath playing, but it's... It's very different it's hardcore. this song. It's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Everyone check it out. I think oh, sorry. W- one last thing. Uh, Dan touched on this, but artwork is dope. James from Time and Pressure did it, I believe. Um, I think, I believe they're an Oakland area band. Um, Dan mentioned like San Diego too, but I just want to say like an Oakland area band. I think it's sick to see them kind of go with the regional sports colors and, you know, big up the Seattle Supersonics yellow and green. So shout out. 
Yeah, it's uh, Discouraged Forlorn, Forlorn Hope. It is on Patient Zero Records, came out in the year 2020. Check it out, people. All right, one's got to go. This segment, we're going to toss out four records, and you got to remove one. And this is not a negative thing. We only choose records that rule. That's why it is a hard practice to do. Now, this time, we're going full Posse Chris Lane. That's why he's on. We love him, and we love this. I love all these records. All right, one's got to go. Floor Punch 7-inch, the 10-yard fight 7-inch, the In My Eyes demo, or the hands-tied 7-inch? Ben, let's go to you first. Let's clarify. This is the first 10-yard fight 7-inch. Correct. The first 10-yard fight. The Hardcore Pride 7-inch. Um, yeah, I, I, these are all things that I got into pretty much when they came out. Um, I love hands-tied, and when they came out, I was already a massive mouthpiece fan, so it was like a no-brainer to get the hands-tied seven inch actually if you get the cd you get two extra tracks uh and they have they hold this mystique for me because they were the only one of these bands that i never got to see because they never toured the west coast uh the other three bands did uh it's a great record i must have listened to it more than any of the other ones on this list and then the 10 yard fight seven inch hardcore pride is awesome um this is where they stop singing about football and sort of wave the highest flag for that 90s youth crew wave. Um, I love a lot of these moments on this record, like where he yells, Pride is forever! We did actually, we did a whole episode about this kind of stuff. Uh, I'm sure Zach knows the number of the episode by heart. Nope, but hit them archives. <laughs> Um, and they're just so youth crew. It's l- almost like they're daring anyone to talk shit on that whole sound and aesthetic. Like we're going to lean so far into this fucking athletic youth crew look and sound that, you know, come, come at us. A- and uh, I, I just love how bold they were. Uh, pardon the pun. Yeah, In my eyes, you, demo. Before, before you move on from Tanner Fight 2, we, we discussed this whole 7-inch on one of the side A, side B episodes. That too. Yep. All right. On the In My Eyes demo. In My Eyes demo is really good. I think they peaked on their second LP, but they never made a bad recording. And um, I duped so many copies of this demo at my dad's office and just passed them out to friends in anticipation of seeing them in the summer of 97. And like, I don't consider what I did like bootlegging because I wasn't selling them and they spread the word, spread the word. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, sweet Pete uh, pretended like he was going to punch me in the face when I told them that, but then he was like, just kidding, man. (laughs) Um, (laughs) This is, and they played sold out shows at the showcase. Yeah. As a showcase, that was the first one. I didn't go to laser star one. Then he just Um, him in the gut, not the face. This is this for some reason. This is not on streaming, so get on it, Anthony Papalardo, friend of the pod. Make it happen. Yeah, I think it's interesting that they have a seven inch of the demo, but the seven inch isn't like that. I would have thought that the seven inch, the, the demo seven inch, would have been on streaming. But they also have a CD of the demo that came out 
maybe a year after the demo came out, or right around the time the seven inch of it came out. Um, Floor Punch, my two favorite songs of Floor Punches are, is it called Keep It Clear or Clear? It's unclear to me. Clear. Clear, Clear, which. That right up. I first heard on the tie that binds comp, speaking of comps. Um, and um, that that song was on their demo. And then Shotzi, which is on their LP. And so this is the seven inch that falls between those two. Um, and I don't think they ever made a bad recording either. You know, like a lot of these bands, they only ever put out two, three records, you know, a demo, a seven inch, maybe one or two albums and then broke up. So you know, they didn't uh, overstay their welcome like a lot of their their 80s heroes did. Um, so this is the one that's going to go for me by virtue of not having um, my the standout, what I consider the, the standout tracks uh, when I think of Floor Punch on them. But none of these, none, these are all really good recordings. This is a good, good matchup. And I, I don't think all, all our answers are going to be the same. So sorry, which one did you say? The floor oh, punch one? Floor punch gotta go, yep. All right, let's shoot it to you, Chris. Uh for me, it's pretty easy and and that's gonna sound a little bit harsh, but it doesn't have anything to do with the songs or the you know, like the quality of the songs or the release. It's it's really about the nostalgia factor. So for me, it's the hands tied seven inch. Uh that's that's what I gotta get rid of. Um and and the reason is, like for me, mouthpiece is just more uh, has holds more of my heart as a foundational, um, you know, piece of of what kind of makes me who I am, and as far as my tastes in hardcore, which is interesting because the hands tied seven inch is just as good as any mouthpiece release, and you know, you could argue it's better. It's you know, it's better recording. It's um, the songs are a bit more ferocious, which, which I, I loved, but like, for me, when I think of like that, that feel that, that hardcore is all about, like mouthpiece is kind of my go-to more than hands tied. Whereas the other releases are like crucial elemental, uh, you know, pieces, um, Real quick before I move on from Hands Tied, like What Lies Ahead is my favorite track. I just love like the way the vocal phrasing is on the song, especially in the chorus when it's just ring outs with the drums continuing fast. And it's like, no concern for what lies ahead. Stone today and you're drunk tomorrow. Like it's, <laughs> it's way more like in your face, straight edge vocals than anything that I ever really <laughs> vibed with. But it's like it's so cool that it's like yeah Chris, can you say that you're, st- you're stoned today and you're drunk tomorrow run into walls pass out cold body spent you're gonna fall yeah that's the best song of any songs of these four of these four things is that it's one a, song it's a killer song that is um, a dumb lyric oh <laughs> yeah it's dumb but it's it's said in such a cool way that it it, it stands out and it, it's like, yeah, straight edge, you know? <laughs> uh, straight edge. I have zero understanding of something that I'm getting mad at. So funny. <laughs> um, the other three releases, I think in my eyes, Ben kind of touched on this, but uh, this is a band that got better with every release. So this demo is the worst thing they ever put out. 
um, in my opinion. But it's so good. Uh, you know, they just continued to raise the bar. I think when this demo came out, it's exactly what I wanted from hardcore and what I needed from hardcore. And it just really hit in like every way that I wanted a hardcore band to hit from like the speed to the octaves to the, um, you know, the, the positive lyrics, uh, the, the, the energy. I just loved it. Um, and I remember how hyped I was like when this came out, 10 yard fight and floor punch, like both of these releases are my favorite releases for these bands. Um, these songs are burnt in so far into my brain that I could go five years without listening to either and still know like every single word. Um, you remember two quick things. I remember the first time I ever heard of 10 yard fight. This was like early internet days. If you remember like some of the early web zines that were around where it would take forever for the pictures to load, but like you would just go and like look at pictures of bands playing and like, you know, there weren't even really MP3s weren't really that prominent. So like you could go to these web, you know, web zines and like look at pictures of bands playing live and be like, Whoa, this band looks sick live. Like these pictures are awesome. They're jumping, there's pylons and then have no idea what they sound like. And for 10 yard fight, like when I saw the pictures of them, they became like my favorite band before I even ever heard any of their songs <laughs> just cause it looked like such a good time, you know, like so many people singing along, like, you know, the X's, the wristbands, just, it looked like an awesome vibe and I wanted to be at those shows and I was bummed that I wasn't like in Boston at those shows. Um, and then floor punch in a similar way, like the record cover art, for both of these records for hardcore pride and, and the four punch uh, division one champs or wait, was that what the seven inches called? I don't remember. Anyways, yeah. the first floor punch seven inch, like the art for both of these is, you know, it's nothing super creative, but it's exactly what I needed. You know, it was exactly what I wanted at the time. It was everything. Like you could look at the, co- you could walk into a record store, look at the covers and, and say that that's what I want ring me up right now, take my money. I'm going home with this, you know, without hearing a note of these bands. And like, I think the 10 yard fight and the floor punch record, uh, really just kind of embodied like the artwork really embodied that, that spirit that I, that I, you know, was craving at that time in my life. So. So rad. Yeah. You guys both brought up points that I wanted to touch on a little bit. Um, First off, Chris, you talking about like liking mouthpiece so much more than hands tied. That's really interesting. I, f- I feel like you nailed it because listening to the hands tied seven inch, it's a better band than mouthpiece. The drumming is better. It's more ferocious. Like you said, Tim's scene is like perfect, especially on the first song, like the way he shouts and then also like his cadence on the I can see through you. It's like so creative and good. Like I love it, but yeah, for some reason, like it doesn't doesn't have that sentimental value that the mouthpiece stuff has, and I totally missed mouthpiece. So it's like it's not like I saw them; they didn't mean anything to me. But like that's their their style is like so dark and timeless in a way. It's just such a unique band that like I just can't really live without. And the hands tight seven inch rips, but yeah, it doesn't have like a special place in my heart like these other three the mis demo like i remember the hype of this 
and like buying the demo when I think either Ray from Boston was selling it or maybe Zarian got it from them and I bought it from him. Um, mine was like on a dubbed tape, like, like some other person's professional tape, you know, with like the scotch tape over it so they could record on it. But like, it had like the real cover and everything. So these things were like, it's like, yeah, it was like, it's like a traveling Wilberry's tape with like, <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> Probably was. <laughs> you know? And, and I just remember the hype for this and this demo was so good. Right. It was like, look, if you're a teenager and you're in a pretty straightforward, hardcore, one of your favorite bands is going to be Gorilla Biscuits. And one of the reasons why you like them is because they put in subtle melody that's not over the top. And this MIS demo like really did that. It wasn't over the top of where it was like you're listening to a fat records band, but like it was there enough that it's like, okay, this is like touching me like the way that GB does. And this, yeah, this demo is absolutely great. Um the tenor fight and floor punch seven inches are like untouchable to me. They're the two best seven inches of like that era. So I can't lose them. I can't lose the MIS demo because like I was there on the ground running for that. Like the tenor fight and the floor punch came out before I was around. So I'm losing the hands tied. Although this record absolutely rules and it'll be linked up in the playlist. So everyone should check it out. Daniel, let's go to you. All right. So this is a very difficult um, decision because I really do ride hard for all of these records. Um, so I'm going to go number one floor punch stays immediately. That's my favorite out of all of them. Um, there's something about floor punch that's just hard. It's like a je ne sais quoi type thing. Like they're doing youth crew, but they're also doing mean NYHC at the same time. Um, the lyrics are a lot more basic than <clears throat> some of the others, but they're so sincerely nasty <laughs> in a way that I love them so much, you know, like, it, you know, it, I've, I've it's really, the feeling, the feeling yeah. is it, you know, you're right. It's like, it's like purposefully generic in a weirdo mean way that like works. Yeah. Cause you know, like you losers better watch your back. <laughs> like so good. I fucking love it. So good. I really like why is it. that why is that great? And then that hands tied line is so lame to me. I don't know. It well the hands tied one isn't lame. It's fucking awesome also. <laughs> but you know, yeah. You know, I but, but most people drink and smoke weed. It's not like, oh, well, today's my weed smoking day and tomorrow I'm gonna drink a couple beers. I think he's just saying you're fucked up all the time. He's just giving you the different options. <laughs> so I don't think he's saying, well, you know, you're stoned today, but tomorrow you'll be drunk. I don't think it's exactly <laughs> like that. It's just saying you're a fuck up man. And here's my X up fist coming your way. All right. <laughs> um, one thing I love about the floor punch seven inch is the floor punch crew gathered around an X up fist mural on the back. You know, these are the things like pre-internet. I know we always go on about it because we're old fogies. But these are the kind of things that you would pour over as a as a kid who first got this 7-inch. You know, you would be like, oh, man, who are the dudes in the crew? Which guy, which are the guys mm-hmm. in the band? 
blah, blah, blah. I'm reading all the lyrics. I'm looking at the thanks list. I, you know, oh shit, this is in my blood. Like same people who do, you know, are connected with hardware fanzine, like just everything about it. It was a world like opening up in front of you. Um, I remember looking at the back of this and thinking, you know, maybe I should consider starting to wear basketball jerseys. <laughs> <laughs> Earth Crisis already did that for me. I have quite a collection of Dennis Rodman jerseys. <laughs> and I started wearing them because Fury of Five. Yeah, well, there you go. And that's so why you wear language. That's, that's why he wears puffy vests as well. True. Um, so Floor Punch is safe. Now, um, I think... I'm giving the silver medal to 10-yard fight because there's something about 10-yard fight that when they do these, um, there's not that his voice is very melodious, but somehow the way that he puts these vocals becomes so unbelievably catchy that you sing well, Zach sings straight edge brothers in the pit together every other pod. But there's something about these things that the way Wrench would put the vocals that it just it's a hook in every line almost. You know, it just sounds so good. And um even you've got the kind of you know built to built to last had it's on fire um, lots of other bands have those one like kind of more dance floory sing along pylon parts and still holding on has that, you know, holding on on the uh, 10 yard fight, seven inch, the last song. It's, it's just a pylon thing that you you're itching for them to come through because you want to just dive on your friends to sing along to that song. Um, now it comes down to the hands tied seven inch which i prefer to almost all mouthpiece stuff um and i i also like ben was bummed that they never came out this way um and uh, going back and listening to it in in um preparation for like talking about it tonight it blew me away how fucking good it is like again you know i haven't listened to it for you know probably a couple of years and it's just so good. And this is uh, Tim McMahon in particular is one of those people that really thinks, I mean, almost to a science where the gang vocals are going to be placed and they're done to perfection with this seven inch, like where the <clears throat> youth crew vocals come in is, is really fucking good. But the In My Eyes demo, when that came out, like you've you've all mentioned, the hype and the and the excitement about this band um, is is really amazing. I I, I don't want to I don't want to get rid of one. I want all four. <laughs> I mean, that's the whole point of the thing, right? Like, this know, is, it's a positive thing. It's four things that would be very hard to live without. Yeah. Um, just because I, I might go technicality, the fact get rid of the demo tape and then I'll just buy the demo seven inch. <laughs> 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 um, but I'm with Chris too. Like nothing to hide is my favorite 
era in my eyes, even though the demo like blew me away when it came around and, you know, it, it's the four songs on it. So good. I, I mean, I must've wore that out in, in my fucking sick 1989 Ford Mustang. <laughs> that had a tape player that would occasionally chew up tapes when it felt like it. Um, I'm going to keep hands tied and get rid of the, in my eyes demo, just because I know the strength of what is to come, which is the, uh, which is the nothing to hide LP, which is my favorite stuff. But, and I'm also going to just buy the Euro in my eyes, demo seven inch and keep that and just say bye to a cassette. We can also <laughs> say that they re-record maybe all of the demo songs, right? On the first LP. Yeah. Or yeah. all but one. I, all but I, one. I think. I yeah. I, I think that's right. All but one, but I haven't, um, I haven't listened to the demo tape <laughs> in a million years. Cause I don't have anything that will play a tape, but I, Absolutely loved it, but just for the sake of of um, conversation and to keep the conversation going with maybe people listening along with us, I'll keep the hands tied seven inch. I'll get rid of the in my eyes demo, and like I say, I already have the in my eyes demo seven inch, so I'm I'm sneaking <laughs> that back into the collection. Yeah, so, so ten air fight seven inch, the de facto winner that doesn't right. get eliminated on anything. How about yeah. that? Yeah, but the floor punch is the real winner. Oh, agreed. Agreed. Dude, All right. How can you eliminate hardcore pride? Hardcore pride. Dude, that's the best thing about the seven inch is like he announces every track. <laughs> like I, I'm so bad with song titles except for Tainer Fight. <laughs> you know, it's like all you have to do is the first line that he says. I can't oh, even yeah. remember my own band's song titles. Maybe I need to take that cue. Yeah, yeah. I think that the only song that he doesn't announce what the song's name is is the "Holding On" song, which he it says "Holding with, On" a million times. It just starts <laughs> with the vocals and they, they pound it into you. So, yeah. Anyway, this was great. Side A versus Side B. Carry on. Roll with the punches. Teamwork Records, the year two thousand. And Chris, let's go to you. This record is the record that made me fall in love with Carry On. Uh, their previous stuff was great, and I was a fan, but this was the record that made me like fall in love with them. Um, Ryan's voice just—he really stepped up from the assertive '95 Youth Crew voice to the, the that pissed off snarl that you get, um, and, and it even gets more pissed off and more snarly on the on the next record, but. Um, but this is definitely a turning point where they went from that kind of assertive we're a 97 youth crew band to a pissed off hard and ferocious band. Um, and, and the music matches that like you get the Todd Jones left hand. Um, that's just flying around, you know, the, the beats are just furious fast. Um, but then you also have, you know, the hardness with his love for bands like right brigade, um, that, that really comes through, um, roll with the punches. I mean, we've talked about before that tremolo picking at the beginning is iconic. Um, I, we even talked about it before in this podcast when we, we were talking about peanut damage, uh, as a reference point, um, fuck your politics. 
while it's not for me, this song has two like anthem level songs and that's roll with the punches and, and off my chest, but fuck your politics is no slouch. It's a great song. It's raw. It's aggressive. It's catchy. It's, it's everything you need in a good hardcore song. Um, you know, something to say, uh, while though, you know, the, the point of the song might've actually had the opposite effect of, of its intentions. Um, cause it's kind of a, a break down the walls song. And I think probably maybe put up more walls. Uh, but what a great song. Um, it's over. This is a 22nd song that isn't just a throwaway song. Like, it's not just like, Oh, we got four songs. Let's put two 22nd songs on here. Like these are well thought out songs. This song is just the same riff, like six or eight times, but it does it in a way with variations of like palm mutes to where there's like a progression in the song. Um, And this riff tells a story and the vocals also add value to that, that storytelling by telling their own story. Um, I think this song is kind of, I turn my back and you hit that (laughs) ball. Yeah. My favorite lyric. I think the song is uh, like, this is a pretty underrated masterpiece of simplicity and complexity. This song. Um, it's a toss-up for me, like a coin flip. All oh, this this record's so good, start to finish. Like, I'm gonna go with "Roll with the Punches" just because. Off my chest, "Roll with the Punches" are kind of coin flips. Fuck your politics. I like a little bit more than "Check Yourself," and it's over. I like a little bit more than "We're Not in This Alone." So I'm going side A. All right, and Ben, let's go to you. Um, a lot of what I'm about to say is what Chris already said. This is like where they get the tougher right brigade influence sound, um, which is funny because they're significantly better than right brigade. <laughs> so like, imagine if someone tries to sound like your band and then just bodies your band. Um, hope, hopefully that never happens to any of our bands. Uh, Todd Jones has a mean, uh, right hand on roll with the punches. I can't do that shit. It almost sounds like, is that a human being doing that? Like, I don't know how he fucking does that. Uh, fuck your politics is actually about Steve Aoki. Fun fact: um, who was a total? And, who was a and total, Rich Boer? On oh, Rich Boer too. Boer. Yeah, yeah. It's that uh, crew. Um, because there was beef at the time, and and uh, Jose Palafox. Remember, there was a big confrontation at the at the smell because they knew fuck your politics was about them. And it, it, it was, you know, a bit, bit testy. Jose Palafax. But what band was he playing in at the time? He was getting the back of rich and, and those dudes oh. at the thing. But, uh, I don't know what Jose was playing in at the time, but. Cause Steve and rich were in Esperanza together. Yeah. Okay. That I'm was not say- later though, right? Like this is those guys were in like Dirty Dirt and the Dirts at this point, right? A, a Dirty Dirt broke up early 2000. Esperanza, mm-hmm. I think, existed within 2000, and this record came out in 2000, so kind yeah. of all around the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, Aoki Aoki was a dick at that point in time, and I don't know what his his deal was. He turned on me, and I was a friend of his, 
he kind of got out of it at some point. I mean, not got out of politics, but just got Well, he probably got out of politics too, but he got out of like his dick phase. Um, Cause he started throwing around cakes, man. Oh yeah. Well, that was way later, but, he, <laughs> but my point being Aoki totally had it coming, like having a song like this written about him, it like very deserving of that. Um, and the funny thing is, Aoki's head is so far in the clouds that he was totally unaware of this song, even back then. Like, well, he, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I am someone who <laughs> is extremely left-leaning and completely agrees that uh, political discourse and stuff should be shared within the hardcore scene. But this song is a hundred percent right on in the simple fact that like, you know, I went to UC Berkeley and, and there are people there that are espousing all this kind of thought coming from like extreme privilege and doing nothing about it, but just talking the talk without walking any kind of walk. And this song fucking blasts that to oblivion. Yeah. Yeah. And I also agree with Chris about it built kind of building walls. Um, Definitely. Well, I would also just say that I think this is one of the like least self-aware songs of all time because these lyrics are great on paper, but they also sum up everything I feel about straight edge bands. Like you could take these lyrics and they absolutely sum up the way I feel about 90% of straight edge bands. So, sure. Yeah, I think you that's, know, why I, there's I totally some, that's why there's only some uh, diehards remain, you know? Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, uh, you know, I will add this song is not a, this song's not a fuck critical thinking song or, you know, fuck, you know, it's not like, it's not like what we have now where the right is cancel culture is on the right, is rampant running everywhere. This is not a song like that. This is a song about, listen, we're all here. We all believe varying things of, or varying degrees of the same thing. Um, and the way that you're approaching it is not constructive, uh, which I a hundred percent agree with. There was a lot that was happening around that era. People who believe a lot of the things that I believe to this day, but it didn't seem like they were doing things in a way that was constructive to actually bring about that positive change. It seemed like they were using it as a weapon to make themselves uh come off better than anyone else, like, like a better than you crew kind of attitude. Um, and I'm not saying that about the people the song was written about, cause I don't really know them at all. Um, I'm just saying there was a lot of that attitude at the time. And I think that attitude permeated well before this era too. Mm-hmm. And, it, from, you know, and there well, was that just like we're seeing in the example I shared about the right, like there's backlash to it too, where, you know, you get, bands like what my crew who come out and they're like, okay, if that's your stance, we're going to push it even farther to this, this end. And then the, you know, the other side is pushing even farther to that end. And it's, yeah. it's just not, and there was a back, there was a backlash um, to political correctness within hardcore in yeah. the early, in the early two thousands. Yeah. And I've read my own tour journal from Oh one Oh two. And it's like shameful. Cause I was, I bought into it to an, to a degree, just the no, way I wrote, not. I wouldn't like shit. I would never share <laughs> like, but I'm telling you it's fucked up. Like I remember talking to my family 
just recently about remember when it wasn't cool to say F A G G O T anymore. And then it was again, and then it wasn't anymore. And they were like, yeah. no, it wasn't. It was okay to say, and then it wasn't. And that was that. And I'm like, oh, because within my micro hardcore core world, there was this other stage where it was okay to say again. And finally, and it's just like, why did we even have that stage where it was like, hey, let's Let's throw it around slurs again. We For do. some reason, we think this is okay in the year 2001 or whatever. Like, give me a break. Fucked up. Anyway, moving uh, on. Well, real quick, I just want to say that I I follow Rich on uh, Instagram, Rich Boer, and he did purchase the Mad Ball Jack Daniels. So anything he did, he has redeemed himself. <laughs> no, Rich has never been at fault, and this song is never at fault. This is an example of of yeah people being unwilling to listen to each other and their backs getting put up, put up against a wall and getting mad about it you know um this song is really strong in in saying like yeah you have these ideas and they are right but you're not doing anything in the world about this and not saying that that's necessarily about those people or rich in particular, because rich is very political and is a, is a teacher up here in Berkeley is doing amazing things. It's more along the lines of what Ben has said that it, it did create a lot of division. And then, you know, not that saying that these people would then turn around and think, you know, he's right. That, f-bomb was flying around and it was disgusting me um and it 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 really would hurt to hear a pit height before a mosh part be like come on you fucking faggots like that's it hurts to hear that um so whether some people took this as being a bit more literal than actually reading about um the nuance part about the big beginning of the song saying that, you know, the, the political people are caught up in self-righteousness and that we all do feel the same way. <laughs> Some people just took it straight up as fuck political correctness. And, and that was a shame. Yeah. Um, I, I turn my back. You hit that bong. Very funny lyric, standout lyric for me. Uh, uh, side B off my chest, which was later re-recorded for the LP, which came out the following year. Um, it's sort of their signature song. Um, I've seen other bands cover it and then we're not one sort of flies by and I don't have anything on the last song. So side a wins and it's the song. It's the side with fuck your politics on it. Mm-hmm. Come on. Yeah. Uh, roll with the punches. Great fucking song. This is Todd coming out the gate and just putting his stamp down on hardcore saying I'm one of the gnarliest, not only guitar players, but songwriters. Because one without the other doesn't fucking matter in hardcore. You can't like wank around and like prove anything. And he smashes it here. I mean, it's there out the gate. So good. Uh, fuck your politics. We discussed. It's over. Cool blast. Like Chris said. Um, yeah. Super short song, but not filler. Uh, off my chest. Great song. Uh, Todd showing that he can knock that mid tempo banger out of the park too, you know, and, Maybe like the precursor to doing Push It Away, which is another great hardcore song. These songs are kind of similar. 
Um, we're not one. I think this is uh, lyrically a, a really good take. Uh, Check Yourself is probably the least standout song on the record, but I do want to give Ryan props here. I think he does such a good job as a singer of deciding like when to rhyme and when to pass on the obvious rhyme. So he has a great line on here when he, uh, when he goes, got the wrong impression of who you think I am, you know, instead of like rhyming on the previous line and it kind of like pulls you out of the song. Like, okay, this isn't lazy, hardcore lyricism, like kind of by him not using the rhyme on that hook, it makes you pay attention more and it makes you know that there's more here because Ryan was a great front man, um, good lyricist. And Todd of course is like apex level, hardcore writing. So this is great. Uh, first song's the best though. Roll the punches. Can't fuck with it. Plus I don't like those B side fuck California labels. So I could never choose side B no matter what <laughs> side a by a fucking mile. And, uh, let's go to you, Dan. Well, I chose this uh, to be debated, and it is such an incredible seven inch to me. Um, there are nuanced things that happen. Obviously, you know, yes, Todd's a great songwriter, great guitar player. Corey is a fucking awesome guitar player. Like, the energy that is captured on this recording is through the fucking roof. But what Ryan does a lyrically he's he's very underrated on the lyrics for this seven inch. I think they're like fucking perfect, angry, hardcore lyrics, but what he does in the ability of doing um, the things where he goes from hard to soft to hard, like throughout the song to really just give it so much character and where he, they've chosen to put the backups and you know, they're excellent backups, by the way. I mean, really excellent backup vocalists on this seven inch. Um, <laughs> I, I thought like one, one of the people was could have. I think it could have been one lighter. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah, we, we should have got Don out of that. <laughs> You're right. Um, like when he's like doing the, you're fucking with everyone's head and you're losing my respect. You know, like just going up and down in, in the attack of the vocals is so good. And it it's what makes him such a good singer. Um, and like you say, he was incredible front man for this band. Dan, um, can I, yeah. Can I ask you a question here? Yeah. I think we've, we've all experienced that, that, had that experience where you go in to do backups for a friend's band and what you hear, what they laid down for the first time. And it just blows away like the previous stuff. And you know, like, Oh shit, like it's on. I can't wait for people to hear this. Like, I don't know. Tell that story. No, definitely. Like uh, this was recorded at double time place where uh, life of regret and, but the first in control LP OMDB seven inch, etc. Lots of San Diego stuff. And uh I went in and I was like, oh my god, Jeff is really knowing how to make carry on sound. <laughs> like this sounds so good. Plus, we'd heard these songs being played live a bit before, so somewhat familiar. But hearing them like, you know, when you put headphones on, 
and the sound is that pure in a studio, I was like, oh, this is so, so, so good. Um, you know, I was psyched to be there for it, but just really psyched to hear how it was going to sound post like mixing and stuff, you know? Um, but the, the parts that you get to do is like when you hear the off my, you know, like all of those parts that you would think like, Oh, that's where the backup's going to go. And it, and it wasn't. And you're like, ah, you know, that's when I really had a, an idea of like, Oh no, these backups are really put in really good um, punctuation parts, you know? Um, I love everything about this record. I love the, you know, certain lines like, so extra fish, show me what's left inside. Listen to this seven inch, love it. Like I do. It is incredible. And, you know, I'm really Ryan, Todd and Corey fucking killed it on this as did Josh and Nat, but they pretty much left the band immediately after this. So, uh, Nick came in and, and, um, Greg Lucas well yeah yeah Lucas but uh also um you know Greg came in Westbrook helped out like I don't know carry on was was a constant almost like scab fest for a while but every single time they played they fucking brought it and I loved it um I love the seven inch now if I have to choose between the two sides I have to go side a slightly 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 more we're not one is uh an absolute in incredible like take on what we discussed about uh pointing out that straight edge is not all cut from the same cloth Um, all right what about the flash chart uh record cover because i'm not a part of tattoo culture i don't have any tattoos and like i don't I'm so disconnected from that that I don't even know how to judge a, a record uh, cover like it, that. It's it's fantastic. It's okay. by Brian Burke. He was at Spotlight. Um, I can't remember where he is now, but he's struck out on his own. I think it's something horse uh, tattoo. He's just incre- you can look for Brian Burke. He's famous. Yeah, he he did Rick to life on a horse dot com. All right, let's go on to uh, Arms Race. This is another Daniel pick. Arms Race, The Beast EP on La Vida Es Un Moose and Slash Painkiller Records 2018. Ben, what's your take on this one? Um, Not only did I not realize this band was English before looking it up, I did not realize this band was singing in English. I thought it was a Japanese band or a Latin American band (laughs) that was trying to sound like Discharge, but it is in fact a band from Discharge's home country. And it's not strict D-beat. There's a lot of other stuff happening. Maybe negative approach filtered through generations of other bands. Um, this reminds me of the kind of thing John Westbrook would listen to and MRR would write about. And I think to myself, am I supposed to like this? And I guess the last song has that intro part, which sort of differentiates it from the other three songs. So I'm going to go with side B. Chris, let's go to you. Um, I haven't listened to this a ton. Uh, this band is undeniably good. The vocals take it out of my lane, and that's why I haven't really listened to them a ton. 
Um, not that they're bad vocals. I think for the style, uh, is you know, from, from what I know, I'm not a huge fan of the style, but I think for the style, it sounds like they're awesome vocals and, and he, and he does them great. Um, it's just not my personal taste. I think if you put the singer of violent reaction on the mic or the singer of 86 mentality, like I'm all in on it. Um, so I, I say this just to kind of preface, you should totally disregard my opinion here, <laughs> but I think this is really well-written hardcore. It's, it's raging. Uh, all the songs are good. You know, it's a close one between side A and side B for me. Um, I think it's it's fast and unrelenting, but it's not like blazing fast. It's like pummeling fast. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's kind of like the, the, the skinhead beat hardcore fast, but they even take that and make a little bit fast faster. Um, it's furious. I think, let's see, side A, I loved the lead over the end of uh, 24 hours. Um, just kind of like that, that kind of punk bendy lead and then um the song the beast uh i really like this this might have been my favorite song in here uh it's just so so unrelenting in you know what i was saying before about that that tempo where it's not quite like a blazing fast fast beat but it's uh uh skinhead hardcore beat played as fast as you can maybe um and and it goes it's so unrelenting that it, it, it the breakdown catches you by surprise because you're not expecting it because you're kind of like, all right, okay, I get where this what the song is. It's 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 you know no slow all go, you know it's not going to change speeds, but it's cool just because it's pummeling, and, and I'm good with that. Um, but then the breakdown comes and you're like, all right, here it is, cool, and it's just like a little a little bit of a treat at the end, um, even though it's not needed to make the song ripping. Uh, I think it makes it better and, and it's dope. I'm going side B because of that. Yeah. I think this is a great selection, Daniel. I'm glad you brought it to my attention. I had not heard it before. I like this record a lot. Uh, first three songs are just straight up ragers and distort Britannia. The last song, they changed it up a tad with like the, the long bass intro and kind of like the, the starts and stops of the guitar over the top of it. Um, and then I love any song that's a mid tempo banger and goes fast at the end. So I'm leaning side B. I will say the snare is just a tad low on this record. I think this record would have been a lot more raging if the snare was just a little higher. Um, in fact, like the first time I listened to it, I couldn't tell what beat they were doing on some of them. Like, Nails does such a good job. Another Todd Jones shout out. What up? Um, they do such a good job of like going between like the, the D beat and like doing a blast beat. And cause you can hear everything and you're keeping like the same momentum and listening to this the first time I was almost like, are they doing like a, are they doing double time under here? Are they doing the D beat? Are they doing a blasty beat? I couldn't really tell, but like you still have like the fury of it and it just sounds mean and cool and I like it and the songs are all short which I love but the power of the last song Distort Britannia I think it's the standout on the record um you can hear the snare on the intro which is great and I'm going side B for that reason and Dan let's go to you well I love this uh 
this is music that if you could <laughs> synthesize what Neanderthals <laughs> would play to get ready for war <laughs> with another camp of Neanderthals, I feel like this music like synthesizes that really well. It's so boiled down hardcore and hardcore punk because there's a lot of punk in this um, that that each song is just I think it's just pure aggression like it comes across like that you know I th- you touched on negative approach being mentioned discharge being mentioned uh, very apt uh, comparisons I feel um, it is all about distort Britannia though that like um Tom heavy uh skinhead intro is really cool and it's it's interesting that um Chris you were hoping that you know maybe get the singer of violent reaction on vocals but he's on drums on this uh he's playing drums on this uh chubby and the gang uh singer chubby charles is on guitar on this so it's it's pretty cool um it seems like there's just a pool of a a few dudes over there that are just all getting together and just making the best rad records you know what city Uh, what city are they from do you know well i'd say the majority of these that's the funny thing about a lot of these uh uk hardcore bands is that uh they a few of them all live in different cities but england is small enough that you can you know get together and make a record uh, without it being like us going to Milwaukee to team up with someone to do it, you know? Right. It's more um, like California. Yeah. But th- they would classify themselves as London hardcore. Cause I think the, ma- the majority of the band is from London, but uh, the drummer isn't, he's from Liverpool. Uh, I really, really love it. I think what Ben said about not knowing if what language these vocals are in is kind of apt, but it, it just makes it sound even more knuckle draggy to me. And sometimes I just love good knuckle dragging hardcore and this is it, even though the lyrics are smart. Um, I am going side B also distort Britannia is the, is the standout track amongst four standout tracks. Introducing first, the challenger, fighting out of the hard corner. Too tough to die, he's here tonight to send the champ on a road to ruin. From the East Bay, by way of Ventura, California, it's Bobby, your river bottom nightmare, Wilcox! And his opponent, fighting out of the core corner, from parts unknown, weight unknown, Reason he didn't pick Minor Threat in the Straight Edge Super 7, unknown. It is the reigning, defending, undisputed 185 miles South Trivia Champion of the World, Daniel, these questions are too easy, Sant! Okay, and the first question, we're going to send it off to Bobby Wilcox. Bobby. This Cleveland band's debut LP was titled Young, Loud, and Snotty. The Dead Boys. Point to Bobby. 
Okay. Now we go to Daniel to see if he can even this out. Daniel, the cover of the 1981 Black Flag LP Damaged depicts singer Henry Rollins smashing a mirror. Which German chemist is credited with the invention of the silver glassed mirror in 1835? Okay, German chemist. He's <laughs> actually going to try it. Lister? Joseph Lister? Uh, Bobby, would you like to potentially steal? No, just kidding. Uh, it's Justice von Liebig. Oh, of course. Liebig. The That's mirror right. Liebig. Yeah, Should have paid attention. Yeah. But uh, now we go Keep back up. to Dan for his legitimate question. Dan, this Boston hardcore band put out multiple records on Bridge Nine and shared a name with a band Mike Judge played in previously to Judge. Death Before Dishonor. Point to Daniel Sant. Respect. We're evened out going into round two. Bobby, this Nardcore band was covered by Slayer and shared a name with the guitarist of the Bad Brains. <laughs> Dr. No. Point to Bobby. And we shoot it back to Daniel. Daniel, this hardcore band from Maryland put out an LP on Youngblood Records in 2003 and shared a name with a Leeway LP. Striking distance. Bobby, we go to you for the possible deal. Never mind. I just heard Maryland and I made up my mind. I'm sorry. No, it's all good. No problem. I know who it is very much. So Don't don't spoil it, Bobby, because... I'll do a side bet. I'll do a side dollar bet with you, Daniel, that he does not get this. I don't know. <laughs> this is aimed right at you. Desperate I, measures. I don't know. Yeah, that would have been correct, Daniel. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah, see, so you jumped the gun a little bit. You gotta but, you want a, but you want a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. <laughs> you, you didn't accept the bet, or I would have won that dollar. Okay. All right, we're, we're going into round three. Bobby. In the in the movie Donnie Brasco, Donnie made inroads with Lucky by being able to spot this thing, which is also a post-minor threat band featuring Ian McKay. Fugazi or Fugazi. We would have accepted both. Point to Bobby. <laughs> Fugazi or Fugazi. All right, Dan, shoot it back to you. Try to do this. Um, Dan, what is Indecision Records number one? Strife seven inch. We will take it. Strife seven inch, strife self-titled seven inch, or we were gonna accept the Mandel can suck it seven inch as well. <laughs> nice. It's all there. Bobby, let's go to you. Which came first? The black flag record jealous again or the Mick Rib at McDonald's? Ah <laughs> uh, fuck. Let's go jealous again. You are correct. Point to Bobby. Black Flag, Jealous Again, comes out in 1980, and the Rib is introduced in 1981. Wow, close one. I would have guessed 86 on the Rib. <laughs> I, I, I don't remember the Rib in the 80s at all. The only thing good that happened to punk rock in 86 was the Rib. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Daniel. NDI. NDI. That's right. Okay, Daniel. The year, <laughs> fucking a Ben. Now you got this land. That's all. <laughs> oh God! Give me a second. Let me 
must, this must be line 10. Yeah. This is line 10. Daniel, the year is 1983. You've been tasked by Coxbar to take them all, and you know what else. You ask, what kind of gun, and where is it? You're handed a copy of the Clash's Give Them Enough Rope and told all your answers are in the song titles. So, what kind of gun, and where is it? A Tommy gun? And And where where is it? What does that mean? Where is this Tommy gun? It's in a song title on the Clash's Give Them Enough Rope LP. Um, You've got me all confused with this wording. We got to just give this one to Daniel at this point, right, Ben? No, let me think, because I've... (sighs) You guys have just so fucking frustrated with this shit. Um, I'm trying to... <laughs> Alright. Billy's in the drug squad. It's not that. Um, drug stabbing time. That's not... Oh! Guns on the roof! Yeah. Boom! I don't you... even like the clash now. I was going to butt in. <laughs> well, you if Dan didn't get it, you could have stole. Obviously. In the, was... margin, in the margin, Daniel, I wrote absolutely the most confusing question ever written LOL. <laughs> yeah, this is like abstract trivia with Zach. That was a good <laughs> question. Come on. You know, you it, it was good. Yeah, it's a it's a twister. It's good. Yeah, it's a little bit of a brain twister, but hey. It wor- I mean, you got it. That's amazing. Daniel got oh, it. He's I'm like a- going down yeah, the in my mind. Like, and that's a tough one because it's such in the, you know, the, well, it's the start of side B, but it's a... Uh, kind of in the middle of the record if you listen to it on Spotify and stuff, so you don't think about it as much, you know? Well, Daniel, I don't know if you can hear me or not, but I've been bowing to you for the last 20 seconds. Oh, nice. <laughs> All right. But I'm still mad at myself for the fucking desperate measures. I know. It might come down to that. I know. I know. Okay, so here we go. Bobby, round five. This band started in Texas, but moved to San Francisco. They put out a 22-song 7-inch in 1983. Um, oh. What the fuck? <laughs> I know this. <laughs> we just talked about it on here. Ben? Yeah. Um, no. yeah. John, John Brandon? Dan, Dan go. You pass. I can't take this person! It's a Bobby final answer. Feeders. Daniel, we go to you for the possible steal. This band started in Texas but moved to San Francisco. They put out a 22 song 7 inch in 1983 and were talked about on the Side A versus Side B podcast with Bobby Wilcox. Yes. Well, 23 songs. I'm just going to guess DRI. Point to Daniel. Yeah. That's yeah. steal. 22 songs, but we'll give it to you anyway. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> shout out LeBron. Shout out Michael Jordan. <laughs> shout out David Beckham. Boom. All right. Daniel, true or false? 2001 saw the release of Bane's album, Give Blood, and also the film, Freddy Got Fingered. Now, is this a trick question where if Bane put out the record that year, 
but Freddie got fingered was a different year. You're not doing me dirty like that, right? I'm not doing you dirty. This is a punk and hardcore podcast. Okay. James album come out in 2001. Yes. True. Point to Daniel. All right. Let's go to Bobby for round six. Shout Bobby. out Tom Green. <laughs> Bobby, Irreputes 1993 album, Big Rusty Balls, came out on this record label. Um, it was Edge, right? <clears throat> Edge Records. The next album, Bleed, came out on Edge. Oh, sorry. No clues for Daniel. Daniel, we go to you for the possible steal. Um, it's it came out on um I'll repeat the question for you. It'll repeat yeah. the nineteen ninety-three album, Big Rusty Balls, came out on this record label. It's it's oh god. Uh Epitaph? No points this round. Doctor Strange. Oh, I knew it was something I, I knew it was a SoCal one. Um, yeah, you were close. Because, yeah, I had no idea. Because uh, my friend at the time bought it specifically just because of the label it was on. He didn't know the band at all. You got to listen to the Carl Ill Repute interview, I think. Um, and I think it was, was saying Fat Mike wanted to have this album, but they went with Doctor Strange instead of Fat. That's right. Yep. Yeah, I think. I think my friend bought it because it was the same label as Face to Face. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it, yeah. I got to make sure that question isn't on uh, for tonight. <laughs> but, uh, okay. Daniel, true or false on youth of today's uh, can't close my eyes and break down the walls. Ray is holding the microphone with the same hand. <laughs> I mean, singers usually do. I'm going to say false point to Daniel. On can't close my eyes. He's, I, he's left hand on can't close my eyes and right, right. hand on breakdown. Right, oh, on fire. Daniel hey, is so at this point. Just <laughs> wanting fools away from his title. It is impressive. Okay, wait. Bob, this is a title fight. Didn't know that. Yeah, every right. every fight is a title fight. It's always a title fight. Hey, you gotta you gotta go back to your training camp now. <laughs> All right. We're going into the seventh round, seventh and final round. Bobby, what is the first band featured on the Someone Got Their Head Kicked In comp on BYO? I don't remember, but I'll say Youth Brigade. A point to Bobby. Ha <laughs> ha. Nice. Nice. And we go to you for round seven. And you'll have to ask yourself, was this a Zach question or was this one where Ben is trying to fuck you? <laughs> As that question is equally trying to fuck me from time to time. <laughs> that, that, that question, that questions are all about f- what year fast food restaurants put out their fucking <laughs> garbage food. <laughs> What's up? It got me to the front of that COVID line. That's dude. pure American culture, though. <laughs> yeah, you know what's up. Okay, Dan, how many songs are on the Blitz Never Surrender Razors in the Night seven inch? Two. Point to Daniel. All right, and let's go to Ben for the final tally. Oh, we have Bobby with five and Daniel with seven. Still champion, Daniel Sant. Well done. Good God, man. Was that a last question, a mind bender? 
No. <laughs> All right, righteous. It could be though, because you second guess yourself so much, but yeah, that's one that's constantly on the old turntable. So feel that. But that wraps it up. <laughs>